0: you're now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Dave Lee, so without further ado, here he is. I don't know what other church you're going to go to where Moby provides a soundtrack for our missions promotions, but it's a pretty awesome church, huh? Check it out. Let's, uh, let's have a look at Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. Thank you. All right. And here's what it says. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. It seems like just about once every year, I end up preaching out of this text. And I've wondered about that. I think it's safe to say this is one of my favorite passages in all the Bible. Uh, And I think the Lord brings me back to that on a regular basis, because this is one of those passages that deserves a second and a third and a fourth look. I love it because it paints for us a beautiful picture of what the church is supposed to look like when it's being the church. Now imagine, how many of you guys work jigsaw puzzles on a regular basis? Anybody love jigsaw puzzles? Am I the only nerd in the country? Alright, I I love puzzles. And imagine how hard it would be to work a thousand piece jigsaw puzzle if you lost the box cover. You know, that would be pretty hard. I think you could do it eventually, but it would be a whole lot of guesswork, a whole lot of trial and error. And what I love about this passage is it's like God took a snapshot, and put it on the cover of the box and said, you know all these pieces you're wrestling to put together, this thing you call the church, this is what it's supposed to look like when it's done. This is what the body of Christ, in beauty and health, when it's thriving, is supposed to resemble. And I think that's why I love going back to this passage. Because it gives me a sense of vision about what it is that so compels me about the church. I love the church. I love the concept of the body of Christ, of people gathered together by a shared experience of salvation in Christ for the purpose of serving God and sharpening and helping each other. That, to me, I don't see anywhere else in the world nearly in the beauty and in the wholeness that I see in the picture of the church. That's why I've given my life to serving and building the church for Jesus Christ. And when I read this passage, it excites me because I get it and I see that if this is what we're becoming, this would be worth My whole life. And I know that that's what you're going to feel when you see that. Now I've come to learn over the years at Harvest that there are no shortages of, there's no shortage of opinion about what church should look like. And I know that there's no shortage of opinion about what a good church would look like and how Harvest can improve to become a good church. I and mean, those kinds of opinions are out there. And so, what I want to do is capitalize on that, and I'm going to yield five minutes of my preaching time to let you preach to one another the first part of this sermon. Okay? Don't be nervous. I'm not going to make anyone come up to the front. But here's what I'm going to ask you to do. And if the guys in the back there, if you can prepare maybe a song to play in the background or something, that'd be great. Um, I'm going to have you, in just right around where you're sitting, talk to a few people. And here's what I want you to talk to each other about for about five minutes. What would you want to see happen at Harvest or any church that would be so beautiful, so compelling, it would fire you up every week to come out here? What kind of church do you want to be a part of? Not just on Sundays, but what do you want to see happen in the church so that this church or any church will be what you would call a good church? The kind of church you want to be part of. Does that make sense to you? So that's your assignment for five minutes. You know, tell each other, because I know many of you are telling me, but tell each other too, what kind of church you want to be part of. All right, let's do that. I want you get the music rolling and just try to turn in your seats. Don't walk around too much, but spend about five minutes talking to each other about what you want church to be like. All right, all right. So I, I think, you know, I have like bad ears and I think I heard some people say, like to go to a church where this is the way preaching is done every week. <clears throat> is that right? Well, listen, I hope that it, that turned into something worthwhile and positive rather than just a gripe session. Because the truth is you can sit in any church in America or all, around the world and there's room for improvement. There's always a step we can take to build a healthier or more beautiful church. But I hope what happened while you were talking to each other is certain things came out that you really valued. And sometimes you know what you value because you're looking for it and you're not finding it in the ways or amounts that you wish. But you know in your heart you can't compromise that. This is something I long to see and my heart won't release that in me. Well, let me give you a snapshot from this passage because this passage paints a very compelling picture of a thriving church. And let me just read off a few things that I see in this passage. The people were very serious about learning God's word. And that was at an individual and as a, at a corporate level. They took it seriously. They went out of their way to engage in fellowship and have meals together. I mean, this was a serious commitment and priority for them. They were very eager to get together for times of prayer. Weird. Each person was gripped by a sense of holy fear. And what I mean by that is the hair on the back of their neck were standing up because there was a real sense that God had shown up and was in the house. Miracles were an everyday thing. I mean, in the early church, you could hear statements like, geez, only three people were raised from the dead today. Uh, I mean, just every single day, things you can't explain were going on in the supernatural. People were sharing everything they had. In fact, some people were selling their most precious possessions so that they would have more to share with others. And as a result of that, there was no one in the church who went needy or hungry or homeless that the church, like a proper family, took care of its own and then had enough to take care of others. They enjoyed a, a great sense of joyfulness and enthusiasm whenever they got together for worship. I mean, you could just feel it. You know, there was none of this, up, up in, the, in the front, the praise leader is going, can everyone smile? Or the preacher saying, is everyone awake? You know, there's none of that. There was just a sense in which you get in the room and it was like, you know, have you ever been to a concert? Like, like a, a secular concert, you know, the kind where people take out lighters and stuff. And I don't know what it is, but they've always got something going. It's this really low and audible, doom, doom. there's some, some kind of noise going on while the band's getting ready. And it builds a sense of anticipation, like you walked into a room where something's going to happen. Something great is going to happen. And you don't have to tell people to get excited they just that 's why the minute the performer gets on the stage without any prompting, no applause line, the room erupts. They enjoyed that kind of a joyfulness and enthusiasm all the time. They had a great reputation in the community. People looked at that church and said that them right there is good people you know that 's a, a group of people that we don 't mind having in our neighborhood and i 've read some articles lately that seem to indicate that maybe the church today in America could use a little more of that uh, in the eyes of the people. And finally, maybe the most compelling thing is that every single day, people were getting saved. and The church was growing because people who were once lost were coming home to God through Jesus Christ. Now, if that picture doesn't excite you, <clears throat> get some CPR, do something, because that to me Describe something that I would give my life to. I would love to be a part of something like that. And I think so many people in this world are longing to find a place and a group of people who look like that. But you know, as with anything in life, it's easy to look at the picture of glory, the finished product, and be inspired. But you know, with everything great in life, behind the picture of glory is a lot of hidden cost. I mean, think about that guy with the washboard stomach, you know. Not me. <laughs> I don't know what this is, but it's not a washboard. But picture the guy whose abs are just ripped. I used to have a picture on my bathroom mirror. It was a before-after picture I got out of some kind of men's fitness magazine. It was the same guy, of before and after, and this dude was ripped. I mean, his stomach was just like, pow, 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 you know. It was like a 12-pack or something. And I remember having that up there and so inspired by that picture. But behind that ripped ab, those, that stomach, is hours of excruciating crunches. It's day after day of making very difficult choices of self-denial when it comes to snacking. Everybody wants that. Very few people have that. I think about the picture of the marathon runner crossing the finish line. You know those annoying people who run like gazelles for like 26 miles straight and they finish the, the, like this. How can you finish a, uh, the crossing line, uh, uh, the, cross the finish line of a marathon smiling? I'd just be like, uh, and they're trying to get across. They're just smiling, arms raised. And just think about that moment for a second, what that would feel like. That's a picture of glory, but behind it, do you have any idea how many hundreds of miles that person has run alone? In the pre-dawn darkness. I read a book about training for marathons. And it talks about how many hours a day you have to run. It's like a part-time job. I mean, you're talking about a good four hours a day towards the end of that training. And no one can run with you or for you. You're doing it every single day, no matter what. And I just think about that. Behind every picture of glory, there is a story of hidden costs. Hours of unsexy, unglamorous investment so that that final picture looks the way it does. You know, this morning as as I was listening to the praise and and singing together with the the team up here, I was just thinking about how great our praise team sounds. Do you guys agree? Can we give them some encouragement? I mean, I I have been to some places where I was like, wow, I want to go home (laughs) because, not to disparage the praise team, but it's nowhere near what I'm hearing on Sunday mornings. And you know the thing is, That finished product you hear every Sunday, in order for that to happen, a group of people that you know personally have to hear that alarm go off at 5 in the morning on Sunday. What time did you get up today? Their alarm, "Eh, eh, eh," at 5 in the morning, and they're here by 7, ready to roll. Or In some cases, yeah, 6.58 or something, right? But... I want you to know that behind every beautiful picture is a story that doesn't get told but has to be there. Behind everything we love to look at is a pattern and a lifestyle of commitment and investment that creates the beauty that surrounds our world. That's what Acts 2, 42 to 47 is about. It paints a picture of a beautiful church But I'm here to tell you, and you hear me say this several times today, beautiful, healthy churches are not found. They are built out of obedience and vision. We don't just hop around looking for the church that's beautiful when I get there. We build the churches as glory to God. You know, that's what the beauty of the church is, is collective lives investing themselves in the kingdom of God. You know, think about what we see in this text. This commitment to learning God's word. You know, and and as a pastor, I I, I love that. This idea of a congregation of people who don't have to be forced by because they just love God's truth. They can't get enough of it. And I remember there was a period, a really magical period for me and many of my peers in the '80s, when we were between the ages of 14 and 18, where we were just all coming to Lord to the Lord in droves. I just remember my youth group, there was a revival, and almost everybody in our church, in our youth group, became a Christian in the span of three summers. And something powerful was happening, and every time God's word was being taught in this city, we would drive all over the place in carpools, hungry to be anywhere where God's word was being preached. You know, i got to tell you, I, I was imagining this all week preparing this message. What if a time traveler from the church in Jerusalem in the first century, could somehow travel through time and come and tour the churches in America today. I think they would be greatly perplexed by a lot of things they see. What we call church, I think, would have been a really, really strange thing for the people who built the first churches. I think the the most striking thing for our time-traveling friend would be this, that there is such a sharp boundary between being at church and being not at church. This idea that church is a place I go to, not a thing that we are part of. And I think that would be the most striking contrast between what they knew as church and what we call church. We are a church of boundaries today in our country. And they had a church that organically wove itself through every part of their lives so that they weren't just Christians on Sundays and Wednesdays, but it was just something we were together, a family And and the biggest part of that, I think, is the way that God's Word, like connective tissue, ran its tentacles all through every aspect of their lives. So that God's Word was like bread for them. It was life. We didn't know which direction was up until God's Word told us, up is there. I think that's the picture of the way the Word of God, like connective tissue, held the whole life together for the early Christians. You know, it takes a very intentional investment of your energy and time to be where the Word of God is being taught and preached. I have to make that kind of investment all the time. Because frankly, if I didn't, this happening right here is the only preaching I'd hear, and that's pretty lame. You know, I mean, After all, you want to hear other people preach once in a while. And so I, I sign up for conferences, and I have to go through the whole thing, talking to my wife and making sure that things at home are going to be all right. We book the airfare we get the hotel everything and i go and each time it's a really big pain in the butt you guys know what i'm talking about traveling for training and all that but each time i do it the lord meets me when i hear an announcement about a revival meeting and you know how it goes right guys you get a flyer. oh this church in our area is having a revival meeting and we cordially invite all other churches to attend and you're sort of like yeah you know i don't think i'm gonna go Each time you make that decision to actually show up, I wonder what's going to happen if I go. It's amazing. Each time that we decide to be where God's word is being taught, something happens. God meets us in it. And I know that we love the idea of knowing the truth, feeling confident in our faith. But in order for that finished product to happen, there's a story behind that. Every fellowship I've ever been part of, every church I've ever been part of, there are days where even me, being the teacher or the leader, I sit in my house and I just think, I really don't want to go. Could it possibly snow today? Is there maybe a natural disaster that might happen? Can I fake illness? Is there some way I can get out of this? Have you guys ever felt that? Like way back, early this morning, did you ever, did you ever just seriously wrestle with not wanting to go? But then you drag yourself out. What the heck? Let's just go. And you go and somehow God still meets you. It may not be the the thing that changes your life, but he has laid one more brick of truth on your heart. You know, what I see is that behind every glorious picture is a hidden story of investment and cost. How about this commitment to eating and fellowshipping with one another? I I love that. I, I think... For real fellowship to happen, you need food. Don't you, don't you agree? I mean, otherwise, you're just staring at each other. I'm hungry. You, know? you get food going and people just start opening up. And that's why I think the table of fellowship, a meal, is one of the best places for people to really start opening up their hearts and connecting. I think another thing that will perplex this time-traveling friend from the first century church is the idea of the fellowship hall. As if fellowship among Christians in the same church is something that can be confined to one day for one hour in one room and then, oh, we fellowshiped. We did it. And maybe you extend that into small groups and you you go to a community group one day out of the week. But I think the picture of fellowship was so much more organic in the early church. It was as if these relationships that we have bleed over the edges of Sunday and Wednesday and they become part of the fabric of our lives. Now listen, I'm not advocating this church-friend-only kind of social calendar where you never see anyone else but the people here. But I'm saying that it takes an intentional investment to say yes to that invitation when what you'd rather do is stay home and veg in front of the TV. Let me tell you something. I get invited to just about everything that happens around here, I think. I mean, there are probably some shady stuff that happens that I get excluded from on purpose. But I get a lot of emails and if you could see my family's social calendar, and I know the other pastors are the same, it's nuts! It's like we could be out every single night, every single day, every single week, for the whole year. So when I see an, an email coming from Evite, there has to be a moment where I say, Lord, please give me the answer. What am I supposed to say on this? One? Because I want to be a part of everything, but I could so easily be away all the time. And there's a side of me, and don't get me wrong, keep, keep them coming. I, I like hanging out with you right? But there's a side of me that says, you know, some days, I would much rather just get a bowl of corn chips and watch all those shows I've recorded on my DVR and, and unplug my phone and not get bothered by anybody. Am I the only self-centered person who feels that way from time to time? I mean, just sometimes you just want to go, everyone, get away. I just want to be by myself. And then at, at sometimes at precisely those moments, an email or a phone call comes and says, hey, what are you doing this Saturday? And I was like, quick, come up with something. Uh, nothing, why? And, and there you go. And What I'm saying is sometimes I love it. Sometimes I don't. But each time I hear and I say yes, I go and I'm never really sorry because I go out there and it's almost always better than measuring in front of the TV. Almost always. Plan your events well. It's almost always better. And you know what else? Jeannie and I, we we really have committed ourselves to this ministry of opening our home to random groups of people. And many of you have been to our home. If you haven't, uh, drop hints. We want you there. We we love having people come into our home and entertaining them and sharing a meal. And you know, the thing is, it's a lot of work. When you got four kids, to have people come over and look like we don't live in a cave like animals, it takes a lot of work. You may come to my house and you go, oh, it's not that clean. Trust me. It is so much cleaner than it usually is, okay? In our house with four little kids, you clean with a a snow shovel. You just kind of... And that's the way it is. So it's an all-day proposition just to have dinner guests for a casual dinner. And sometimes it's not easy. Sometimes we'll call each other on the phone and say, Man, I'll, I'll be home soon, but geez, this is tough. But every time the people come, and as we're finished and we pray and they're going home... The feeling in our hearts is one of fullness. It's always worth it to make the investment in the people around you. You know, we, we say quite often, and maybe you said that to each other this morning, I would like to be a part of a church where people are really friends. That's so easy to say, but I'll tell you, behind that beautiful vision are hundreds of decisions to be a friend. To really be a friend. I think about their commitment to praying together. Uh Uh-oh, here we go. Today in the church, prayer meetings are the hardest meetings in the church to get people to come to. I think that's probably beyond everything else what would have blown the minds of our time-traveling friends from the early church. You see, I don't get it. If, If prayer is such a hard sell, how does anyone around here expect anything to happen? I think this is the picture they have because they were a persecuted church. They had no money, no power, no political standing, no majority, no place of credibility in their culture. These people were complete outcasts starting a new movement and they were on their own. And I think some of that chaos and that wildness of their early situation led them to pray because they knew if God doesn't do it, nothing is going to happen here. We can't make it happen because we're well-trained and well-resourced and well-organized. Without prayer, God doesn't move, and nothing of real lasting power and significance happens around here. That is something I am still learning as a pastor. You know, for so long in my life, I counted on my natural abilities to get me through everything. School, relationship, whatever, I'm always thinking, I can do this, I just got to... Hunker down, I can do this. That is a phrase I've said in my mind a thousand times. I can do it. I don't why I get that accent, but, you know, like, I just tell myself that. And I'm learning over the years through the influence of some really great prayer warriors in our church. Yeah, maybe you can, but that's a pretty stupid place to end. If God doesn't show up, nothing worth happening ever really happens around here. And without prayer, where are we trusting and placing our confidence? You know, behind every great movement of God is concerted effort or campaign of prayer. Every time I read about revivals, the hair on the back of my neck stands up. It's like, ooh, I want to be part of that. I want to be a part of this defining revival where fire sweeps over a region or a generation of people and catches them up. But when you keep reading the revival histories, you can keep dating them back to a point where someone somewhere began to pray. Every revival started with prayer. One of my favorite revival stories happened uh, in, in New York City about 100 years back. There was a businessman who just got it in his head. You know what? We need to start praying. I'm going to personally start praying every single day during the lunch hour in this one building. And he just put out an open call to people. Who wants to come and pray? And one by one, God started calling people to himself. And little by little, this little prayer meeting started growing. And then it became hundreds of people. And each time I read this story about how revival swept over New York City and it began on Wall Street at the business center of the most powerful and secular city in our nation. My heart shakes and I think that's something I want to be a part of. But you know what? It wasn't all fireworks. There were hundreds of sessions where people came out and instead of eating lunch, they prayed and said, All right, Lord, we're praying for something. And it was just a very quiet, calm thing. The hour came up, they were still hungry, like, should have eaten a sandwich, and they went back to work. Hundreds of such meetings without fireworks, and then one day, God shows up. One day. And you know, sometimes people come to the prayer meeting on Thursday and wonder, well, is this it? This is what you're all excited about? It didn't rock my world, and I I get that. I mean, some days I feel like, all right, I, I... Could have been more. But you know what? We're not going to prayer to rock our worlds. We're going to prayer to tell God we don't expect anything to happen, which he does not first do through his own strength. And you got to go through a hundred weeks of uneventful prayer to be there alert when the fireworks start. You know what I'm talking about? Behind every glorious picture is a quiet movement of hidden cost and visionary investment. Behind every single one. Some of you guys will one day hang out with some people you used to go to school with, and maybe it'll be 15 years later, you haven't seen them in a while, and they are fabulously wealthy. Dude, I know you had all that money. Well, you know how like I never wanted to go out to dinner at those fancy restaurants with y'all? I was actually investing all that time, and now I'm a gazillionaire. You know, behind and you're like, oh, I want to be a gazillionaire. Well, you know what? Behind every glorious picture is an untold hidden story. Have I said that enough times? Are you getting it? I think about this sense of presence of God, holy fear or awe, as the Bible puts it, that came over the people. And you know what that's talking about? That's talking about like this isn't just something we do. This isn't games we're playing here. Have you ever thought you were part of something human and then something supernatural happened? Have you ever been a part of a moment like that? Can you just, I want to, I just, I'm curious about this. Can you raise your hand if you've ever been part of a supernatural moment where without any doubt in your mind, God had shown up in that place and done something? Any of you? Raise your hand. I I want the rest of the church to see. Go up and ask those people. Okay, if you see someone near you who raised their hand, go up and say, tell me your story. I got to hear this. There are some amazing stories in my life where I, I could write it in my journal, I can put it in a sermon illustration, and you would go, whoa, that really happened? I think about the time that I was in, a, I was in the woods, and, and it was free time, so to speak, at a very rigorous training event, and they told us you could either nap or you can go on a prayer walk. And all I could think about was I'd rather just veg for a while, but I said, nah, let me for once be a good kid and just do what they tell me. So I went and did a, a, a prayer walk. I sat on a log, I heard God tell me, pray for healing, and I prayed for it. And in that little place, in that clearing in the woods, God delivered me from a very vexing physical ailment. I've told you that story before, and it was an amazing moment. You saw a picture of an old man in that Tuba City video, his name is Conrad. He's a Hopi farmer, he's not a Christian. In fact, he's kind of a grumpy old guy. And he's the guy that, that I... I asked him, How can I pray for you? He said, You want to pray? Pray for rain. And I, I told you this story too before that I prayed for rain and torrential downpours came down in the middle of a drought. And I'm thinking, God, I didn't expect anything to happen, but seriously, you know, when when God shows up, they make for great stories. The kind of stories that make you feel like, what's going on in my life? Am I dead inside? How come I don't get to be a part of those moments? I want to see God show up so that the hairs on my neck stand up and I get goosebumps. I want to see God and experience Him. Don't you have that feeling? They make for great stories, but behind each of those great stories is a quiet decision to be where God tells us to be and to do what God tells us to be doing. That's when God shows up. If I had not gone to Tuba City, and can I assure you that summer was a crazy summer, everything in me wanted to stay home. And if I went, I wanted to be part of little kids' ministry, the the VBS where everyone's cute. I didn't want to be the one guy apart from the rest of the team trudging from home to home doing adult visitations. But that's what we went ahead and did. Being where God tells you to be puts you in a place to see it and appreciate it when God shows up. To be doing what God tells you to be doing puts you in a place where God shows up. How many times have you copped out and not gone to a retreat and then your friend, they get back and like, Oh my gosh! That was the best retreat I have ever been to in my life. Just listening to the CDs is not going to be enough. God was moving and something happened. And you're like, crud. I wish I would have been there. I wish I'd have found it in me to be a bigger person and just obey the Lord because I should have gone. And I really regret that somehow I was not there when God showed up. You know, think about this commitment to generous giving. It's a beautiful picture of a church where nobody goes hungry. I think all of us would take some pride in saying stuff like this. No brother or sister of mine is going to go hungry if I have anything to say about it. You know, I think about my younger brother in in Africa. If he needs anything at all, I'd give it to him. That's what family does. And I'm not just talking about a little money. I'm talking about stuff like kidneys, okay? I mean, if he needs an eyeball, he can have one of mine. My brother will never have a need if I have the means to take care of him. That is what family is. Do you get that? And I think it will be a compelling, amazing experience to be a part of a large group of people that though we do not share blood and DNA, we are family. I want to know that I'm in a place where if I went homeless, I can come and live in your living room for as long as I need it. That's compelling, but man, that's that's not an easy thing. Those of you who have opened your home to someone in a difficult position, you know how hard that is. In the early years of our church, there was a situation in somebody's life in our church that they really needed some help. And my wife and I, we felt a very strong leading of the Holy Spirit to be the answer to that person's prayer. But what was being asked of us, if I could describe the details, it was huge. We had never given so much of ourselves to anyone. And we looked at it and said, can we do this? We feel we're supposed to, but man, all the stuff that comes with this decision. And we prayed about it. We said, maybe this is it. This is where we draw the line in the sand to define the heart of this church once and for all by example. So we did it. And it introduced a period of some real serious difficulty for us. But looking back on what God did through that simple decision, not easy, but simple. We've never regretted it. God has done some things through that decision that really have laid the concrete foundation for a lot of our church. I'm so psyched Pastor Matt is here, and he's getting us moving in this direction of reaching out to others and taking care of our own. I am so excited that this year we finally launched the Grace Fund. If you guys don't know what the Grace Fund is, it's a benevolence ministry where we're setting aside a certain amount of money and encouraging people when they have an unexpected windfall to give to others who might be in a tight spot. And it's already being used, and and God is encouraging and uplifting people's lives through this fund. I'm excited about that. But behind every glorious story... Is someone's quiet decision to give a little extra, to be inconvenienced, to open up my life to something uncomfortable because somebody else that I love is going to be far worse off if I become indifferent right now. Finally, they had a great reputation in the community. Now that really gets to me. I, I love that picture of a church that doesn't just take up parking spaces in the neighborhood, but is actually blessing the neighborhood. I want to be the church that when something is threatening us, the neighbors go, you can't leave. We need you in our neighborhood. If you leave, what will happen to all of this and to all of us? That's this compelling picture I I have in my heart of the kind of role we would have in our community. I don't want Harvest to just be a commuter church. I want to be the church where the people across the street from the building know that we are a place of blessing. They're magnetically drawn to us knowing that our place in their neighborhood is a good thing. But once again, behind that beautiful story of a good relationship is the decision to actually be in the community. And that's not an easy thing. It's hard enough just showing up and building this church. Taking care of the neighbors, that's pretty costly. I I want you to know that behind every great story is a quiet decision on somebody's part to be so captured by a vision that they would do something about it. My favorite part of this whole passage is that last sentence. And I don't think it's just one more description of the healthy church. I think it's the result of a healthy church. So God was adding to their numbers every day people who were once lost and were coming home to Jesus Christ. I love that. It doesn't say that the church was winning souls. I, I've never really liked that phrase, winning souls. I think salvation is a work of God. And I think what God does is He says, here's a church that is beautiful in my sight. That anyone I plop down in there would be, it would be a gift to them to be a part of that church. And when God raises up a church like that, he keeps shoving people in there. I love the way that it's phrased that God was adding to them those people who were finally coming home from the cold. And I think that that's the kind of church we can become. A church of such real beauty that God sees our church as a gift to anyone He would put here. And He starts putting people in here who are coming home to Him. I, I don't see growth as another sign of a good church, but as a result of a good church, because that's the work of the Lord. And even behind that picture, I don't think anybody stumbles into salvation on accident. Everybody who's met the Lord, as the words in our, our Tuba City video reminds us, you can't respond unless you hear. Somebody's got to go out there and be in the community and share the good news. I said it at the beginning of the message. I think it's worth saying it again. The kind of church we chatted about for five minutes this morning, that kind of church isn't found. It's built. And that's the thing. You can go looking from church to church, waiting for the one that's perfect. But I think God's call instead is to say, figure out what those things are that so fire you up so compel you to see the beauty of the body of Christ. And then you kneel before your God and you make some quiet decisions to pay the hidden cost to be a part of the untold story of investment and commitment that produces beauty like that. Whatever it is you told your neighbors that you want this church to become, get on your knees before God and say, what can I do about that? What decision will I have to make this very week or this very day? so that at least in my little corner of this church, we become a little more like that. Amen? And for some of you, that might be nothing more than just making that decision this week. No matter what's going on, I'm just going to show up at community group. Because each time I'm not there, I'm not invisible or dead. People know, and it's encouraging or discouraging, depending on where I am. Wherever you find yourself today, God may be saying something very loud to you right now. Listen to him. I'm going to use the last few minutes just to give us some quiet. Because I think God is saying something to some of you. There is a value you hold in your heart for the church you want to be part of. And I think it's our chance now to figuratively or even literally get on our knees before God and say, okay, I want to be part of this gracious, forgiving church let me begin by forgiving some people right now. I want to be a part of a church that's, in, that's not, not filled with judgment. Well, then I'm going to stop judging somebody right now. Whatever it is you want this church to be, bow before the Lord right now and commit to being that person. Okay, Let's do that for a little while. And I wonder if I can ask the praise team to slowly make their way up and if we can just have some, some music. I'm going to give us about three minutes and then we'll sing the last song get ready to get out of here you know what gets me so excited about being the pastor of Harvest is that when I pay attention and look around our church there are some beautiful stories and wonderful signs that we are on our way I'm not just saying that I, I think this picture in Acts is really the picture of what our church is becoming and maybe you don't agree with that, maybe you're experiencing some pain or frustration in your little corner of this church. But I want you to open your eyes and see that the Lord is doing something beautiful here in this church. And these quiet decisions we've made in prayer right now are gonna only add to the beauty and the health of what this church is supposed to be. If you will follow through on the commitment you've just made in prayer before God, and you will do something concrete. This church is going to become more beautiful day by day. A place you'll be excited to come to. A group of people you'll be proud to be associated with. and A shelter and blessing for generations to come whose hearts like yours are longing for a place like this. So God, take these prayers and then grant us the strength and the heart and the obedience to become together the church that you envisioned when you called us. Help us to be willing to pay the hidden cost and live out the untold story of visionary investment so that the picture of glory might emerge at Harvest Community Church. In Jesus' name.